when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the plane? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It was like, <laughs> like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. It's time for Carolina football. Let's get the fuck out of your seats. Spurs up. Welcome in the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, man, just uh, living life over here. (laughs) Got a great uh, interview lined up for the show, so I'm looking forward to that. I think uh, our Gamecock followers are really going to appreciate it. And and just people that don't really know anything about Shane Beamer, I think they'll get something out of it as well. So, hey, this is going to be a good episode, buddy. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, man. Can you imagine being a South Carolina fan right now? It's like Christmas. And, you know, when you were a kid and there was a big couple of presents under the tree, and you're, you're just your imagination's run wild. You don't know what the hell's in there. You're hoping it's great. You're hoping it's something you wanted. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They all got that feeling right now. <laughs> Dude, it's all gravy right now in Columbia. He's going to be the only coach that's undefeated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Heading into the 2021 20, season. So Never lost a state. Baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of saving, let's start right there, Shane. I just wanted to throw this at you real quick. Because uh, there's an early line out for the SEC championship game. I know Alabama and Arkansas still have to play as well as Florida and LSU. But we got an early line, Shane. Bama, favorite. Can you take a guess what you think the line might be? Uh, Bama favored by 14 and a half. Oh, somebody saw it already. Because that's exactly what the line is. Dude, I swear, I did not, man. I did not. I'm just, I'm on my game. Oh, Is it really 14 and a half? Yes, sir. That's dead on. Uh, that's the, the first line I've seen of it. And I saw that Wednesday morning. Of course, that's we're recording on Wednesday. But, uh, yeah. Wait, did you tweet it? I did, yeah. Okay. Now, 100% honest here. Subliminally, I have your notifications <laughs> on, so <laughs> maybe I saw it and didn't think anything of it, but that number is fresh in my mind, so okay, I might have cheated on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we got plenty of time. You know, I'm kind of already leaning one way, but I want to save that. I don't want to give away. You know, it's still early. That's probably not even going to be the official line. It might move some, so uh-huh. uh, we'll we'll get to that game when we get to it, but I uh, just wanted to throw that out there and you know, if the listeners out there head on over to to my bookie, whatever, and and bet that up if you're feeling good about it right now, because I bet that line will probably change by a point or two by by next week. Definitely. All right. One other thing I wanted to throw at you here, Shane, before we get to our interview, but uh, you know, one of the awards given out annually by the college football—it's actually an organization out of uh, Fayetteville, I believe, or it's either Fayetteville or Little Rock. I apologize for not knowing which. Might actually be Little Rock, but the Frank Broyles Award, named after mm-hmm. uh, you know the the famed Arkansas coach, and he just had such a strong track record of hiring assistant coaches that the nation's top assistant coach award, named after the great Frank Broyles, and we got a bunch of guys from the SEC nominated as assistant coach of the year. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna run down this list real quick, Shane. We got uh, we got ten guys on it. Okay. Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama offensive coordinator. Barry Odom, D 
defensive coordinator at Arkansas. Larry Porter, special teams coordinator for Auburn. Brian Johnson, the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach for Florida. Dan Lanning, defensive coordinator, Georgia. John Schlerman, the late John Schlerman, prayers up to him, Kentucky offensive line coach. Zach Arnett, Mississippi State defensive line, or excuse me, uh, defensive coordinator. Marcus Johnson, the Missouri offensive line coach. Jeff Lebby, Ole Miss offensive coordinator. And last but certainly not least, Mike Elko, Texas A&M defensive coordinator. Uh, Thoughts on that list, Shane? Golly, man, how do you pick, you know? I mean, I'm looking at the list, and it's like, oh, yeah, clearly that guy. But then you read another name, you're like, well, it's pretty impressive what he's done down there, you know? So that's a a tough list, man. I'm glad I don't have to vote on that. Now, I thought, uh, you know, last thing on this list, I was going to rank. We still got a couple games left, but I'm going to throw out my top five. How's that sound, Shane? Okay, and I'll judge it. (laughs) and i'm sure i'm gonna get ripped for these you know the fact of the matter is if you're on this list you've done an outstanding job and i'm not discrediting discrediting anything these guys have done they've all done outstanding so again i'm not saying any of these guys are bad coaches but you know there's got to be a winner and i'm gonna go number five jeff levy ole miss offensive coordinator everybody's given lane kiffin you know they always give him all the credit and that's not to say he's you know, certainly he's done a great job, but he turns this thing over to his coordinator. So Jeff Levy's the one calling the plays at Ole Miss. And I mean, they're night and day different from what they were last year with, uh, you know, Rich Rod. They were running it primarily. Now they're, they can do a little bit of both, but Matt Corral and those uh, Elijah Moore, I mean, we're talking potential all Americans here. So Jeff Levy, number five on my list. I like, I like that. I, I, I actually, I thought Levy would be a little bit higher on your list just because like you said, what they've been able to do with what they had, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. Top five, definitely. Okay. Number four on my list, Shane, Mike Elko, Texas A&M defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And you got to remember now they've got a lot of young guys in the secondary. They did, you know, give up some big plays against uh, Alabama and Florida, but they've rebounded nicely. They had one of their uh, upperclassman who was a, who was a two-year starter opt out in training camp. So they've had some losses here. They lost, uh, I believe a second round pick on the defensive line yet this Texas A&M defensive front is, you know, maybe the best in the SEC this year. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, for all the, we, we all talk up, uh, Kellen Bod and Jimbo and the running game, which the running game has been outstanding, but outside of the, maybe the offensive line, I think uh, the best thing I've seen from Texas A&M this this year is the defense. So I got to give Elko some love there. Absolutely, man. In fact, I would have had him a little bit higher. Just kind of the same thing, man, going into the season with everything that was going on. You know, we thought Texas A&M was crumbling there for a little bit, mainly on the defensive side of the ball. And what he's been able to do has just been flat out impressive. Uh, Number one, I mean, aren't they the number one defense in the SEC right now? I mean, Mm -hmm. so... Yeah, I'd have him a little higher, but definitely top five. All right, number three on my list, Shane. Steve Sarkeesian, Alabama (laughs) offensive coordinator. And I think some people are going to be mad that he's even this low, but, you know, it's nothing against him. I called him out. I didn't think he was doing, um, you know, I didn't necessarily think he was bad, but I just thought he had all this talent. They had to replace Tua and all these NFL receivers. And, hey, it's looking just as good, if not better, and there's been no drop-off since uh, Jalen Waddle got hurt. Mac Jones, legitimate Heisman contender. May, he might even win the award. So, yeah, I got to give Steve Sarkeesian all the credit in the world. And I, he may even win this thing, but uh, I've got him number three on my list. And I have him a little bit lower, Mike. And, and the only reason that I, – because I still think he's a top five myself. But, you know, Alabama's – We've always said it has been a plug-and-play coordinator, and next thing you know, they're getting a head coaching job somewhere. Mm-hmm. But what Steve has been able to do from last year to this year, you know, clearly shows some coaching going on behind the scenes, not just talent that's sitting down there in Tuscaloosa. So definitely top five. Uh, uh, and like you said, wouldn't be surprised if he wins this award. All right, number two on my list, Shane, Zach Arnett, Mississippi State defensive coordinator. I don't think the Bulldogs are getting enough respect for what they've been doing on that side of the ball. 
Hell, it was just a couple weeks ago they limited Georgia to, what was it, six rushing yards. Uh-huh. And I guarantee you, Shane, every single player on that Mississippi State defense was probably three stars less than the guys they were going up <laughs> against Georgia. And it's not just that one game. It's across the board. I mean, uh, there was a game where – you know, the, the offense literally did not score. The defense scored the only points of the game. Uh, there's been other games where uh, they're scoring as many points as the offense. The, we all know the offense has been struggling at Mississippi State. And, you know, the sad thing is if uh, if this offense would have been as – didn't even have to light the world on fire, but if they were just basically what we thought they would be, Mississippi State may be in contention for the SEC West right now, but – that defense has propped them up, and I got to give Zach Arnett all the credit in the world because I don't even think he's got that much talent to work with yet. He's turned this into uh, one of the better defenses in the SEC. Yeah, for sure, man. Not I, I wouldn't have him on my list, believe it or not. But uh, you are right. There are some things that that has gone right down there at Mississippi State, and the defensive side has been it. Um, so I. I I say he's good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's a terrible coordinator or anything like that, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm just, I like some of these other guys. I'm just a little bit better. Mm -hmm. All right. My winner here, Shane, number one, I think this guy deserves to win the Broyles award. Barry Odom, defensive coordinator, Arkansas. I know, uh, you know, I've already seen some fans are already upset because they allowed Missouri to score on them and, and go down the field, win that game. But my God, we got to remember where we were at with Arkansas uh, this was just a couple months ago. Everyone was not even in pencil, but in ink. Arkansas, 0-10. Right. Uh, this is the toughest. Remember, the, the AD came out and said this is the toughest schedule in college football history. It's kind of like we've forgotten all that. We've got a walk-on at corner. We've got a mm-hmm. former walk-on at linebacker. Uh, they just don't have much depth and talent. And yet they've pieced this thing together. He, this was the guy. Remember, it was Mike Leach came into the SEC and and just went rampant on LSU. And we all thought, damn, Mississippi State's going to be a damn force. Uh, Barry Odom figured that thing out, and and everyone's just copied that blueprint. He figured out the uh, Jeff Lebby Ole Miss offense and forced Matt Corral into six interceptions. Uh, Barry Odom. Coach of the year, no question. And and to me, you give this award to someone that's elevated not only his unit but the entire team. And there's just no convincing me that Barry Odom has – or any coach has done that better than Barry Odom this year in the SEC. So he's the guy, huh? You say, out of everybody on this list, that's the guy that's changed the program the most, in your opinion. Shane, last year this defense gave up 45 to Western Kentucky. They, they gave up 56 to LSU, 48 to Alabama, uh-huh. 51 to Auburn. Uh, they gave up 31 to San Jose State, uh, 34 to Colorado State. Mm. I mean, this is this is the this is the coaching job of the year right here. I gave up about 300 dollars betting on them last year. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm with you, man. I, I really like what he's done there in Arkansas. Uh, you know, I. I if the season would have ended halfway through, I think it would have been a no-brainer. You know, some of these guys, I think, are going to get creep. They're going to creep up into discussion. You know, when they when they call this award, but mm-hmm. uh, very very deserving, Coach Odom, what he's been do- able to do there with the Razorbacks. All right, buddy. Uh, so we spilled long enough here. Let's get to our interview with uh, Keith Alsap of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. I think the fans are really going to appreciate this. And again, you can follow Keith at K-A-L-L-S-E-P. And also uh, follow at GamecockPod. That's the uh, handle for the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. And this information will be in the show notes as well. So uh, let's kick it over to Keith. Hey, we're pleased to be joined now by Keith Alsep of the Locked On Gamecock podcast, the go-to source for Carolina sports and podcast form. You can follow him at K. Allsep, that's A-L-L-S-E-P on Twitter. And the podcast is at Gamecock Pod. Keith, thanks so much for uh, joining us. I really do appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on with you. I've enjoyed having you on my show a couple of times. And uh, it's just an honor uh, to be on that SEC podcast. (laughs) 
Well, let's get rolling, man, because this is a busy time for South Carolina. We just hired Shane Beamer, and of course, we're going to go deep dive on that. But uh, before we get into all that, I wanted to ask you real quick, any chance that you think South Carolina will play in a bowl game this year? I think if uh, they get invited, they're definitely playing in a bowl game. And I don't know if I'm going to go, but I'm going to buy some merchandise just so I will have a record of South Carolina playing in a bowl game with a two and eight record. <laughs> Never happened to anybody <laughs> in the history of college football. Would they, I mean, would they even have the roster and, and the coaching staff to, to make that happen? Well, I think so. Uh, two coaches have departed the coaching staff that we know of. Uh, Travaris Robinson and Kyle Krantz. Uh, Shane Beamer has not officially named anyone to his staff, uh, but I think there's two or three guys that definitely will be on the staff. But he's kind of asked, you know, some guys to hang loose. And, you know, if you go to a bowl game, coaches get a nice bowl bonus, uh, which they all like. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it'd be great for South Carolina. I do think they would get some guys back that had some, uh, you know, not season-ending injuries. They had several guys that were on COVID uh, that potentially could be back. Um, you know, I was talking about this uh, Tuesday night, or I guess last night on my podcast, up until Will Muschamp got fired, uh, they had done maybe as good a job or better than almost anybody in college football as far as COVID protocols and testing negative for COVID. And I think uh, after he was fired and after they saw the season slip away, I think, you know, some guys kind of took some liberties that they had not been taking. And that led to, you know, obviously a roster reduction on top of the opt-outs that you had. Uh, after Will Muschamp was fired. And if they could get those guys back on on board uh, and get those guys healthy, then, you know, I think it would be great for the young players because there are a lot of young, talented players on the roster. Uh, and it would be good for Shane Beamer to be able to watch those guys practice and to be able to evaluate his players, to be able to be around his players and, you know, Number one, you got to re-recruit your own roster, whether you're a new coach or a returning coach because of the transfer portal thing that's coming. And then it also gives him an opportunity to evaluate coaches that maybe, you know, he's considering but hadn't made a hard yes or a hard no decision on. So I think it would be nothing but beneficial uh, for South Carolina. And um, if there is a slot in the SEC openings, I I'm confident that South Carolina will accept an invitation to a bowl game. Well, hopefully uh, Shane Beamer is not with Oklahoma at that time, as we know he's splitting his time there. So, you know, big question there in, in South Carolina. Got Let's just start there. Shane Beamer hired. Thoughts on uh, that decision and, and how Ray Tanner and Bob Caslin how they handled this coaching search? Well, number one, I think, they handled the coaching search uh, as far as keeping it away from the politicians and the board of trustees and something that's really never been done before at South Carolina and kind of kept it, you know, uh, Bob Caslin's a retired uh, Lieutenant General in the army. And so he kind of closed ranks, so to speak. And it was a three person deal and nobody from the board of trustees was involved. And, you know, some of them didn't like that. If you know the history of the University of South Carolina, the board, uh, which are all, you know, political appointees by the legislature, uh, are very involved. And a lot of times they think they're the decision-making body, but they're supposed to be the advise and consent body. And so I thought they did a good job for that. Um, I mean, I said, you know, for me personally, and I think a lot of South Carolina fans, they wanted someone with head coaching experience. Um, 
Obviously, Matt Campbell was a guy that uh, Ray Tanner and Bob Caslin made tell them no several times. You know, maybe if he's six and four instead of probably going to the Big 12 championship game, maybe that could have gone a little bit further down the road. But I think he's probably either going to get a big contract extension there or maybe parlay that job into the Michigan job or perhaps the Texas job or, you know, some people say even the NFL. Um, and so then you had Scott Satterfield and Billy Napier and neither one of them were as impressive according to my sources in the interview process is Shane Beamer and Shane Beamer internally did have a lot of support from his time at South Carolina. A lot of people were very impressed with him and he uh, has done a tremendous job networking and staying in touch. And he also had, you know, every one of those great players when Steve Spurrier went on that great run from Connor Shaw to Marcus Lattimore to Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Holloman, Melvin Ingram, Tory Gurley, uh, DJ Swearinger, you know, you name it, those guys all stepped up and went to bat for Shane Beamer and a lot of players that came before them as well. So he had a lot of internal support for the job and put forth a great plan. I mean, to me, I would have preferred someone with head coaching experience because uh, I think the SEC has not been kind to first-time head coaches. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you're dead on with that one. So do you think the fact that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you saw it, but uh, Ben Briner of the state just reported that South Carolina's got to owe the complete buyout the way his contract, Will Muschamp, that is, his, his previous contract is. So do you think finances played into this at all and in, in trying to get uh, Shane Beamer, you know, you kind of referenced it there. They, they kind of got him on the cheap a little bit. Well, so uh, I guess the long and short answer is I don't believe finances played a factor. Um, Ray Tanner had and Will Muschamp had negotiated a reduction on the buyout of over $2 million and Ray Tanner forgot to sign it. And so, um, you know, the general's probably not going to be too pleased with that. But South Carolina, they knew they need to make a change. I mean, we all know that new uh, TV contract with uh, ABC and Disney is getting ready to kick in, and that's going to at least double uh, the revenue for each SEC program. And um, they had some people step up and said, don't worry about the buyout and we're going to spare no expense because you can't say, well, we're going to fire this guy and pay him 13 and now over $15 million, but we got to make a hire on the cheap. Uh, from what I was told, Shane Beamer took less money because for him, it's still a huge raise. I mean, I don't, I think mm -hmm. less than $600,000 a year at Oklahoma, 2.75 million uh, heavily laden with incentives per year for five years. But he wanted money for coordinators because he is a first time head coach. He mentioned at the press conference, he really wanted to hire, uh, you know, coordinators that had done it for a long time at a high level. That was his quote. And so to get those guys, you're going to have to pay more money. You're probably going to have to overpay maybe to get a guy to leave the region or the school that they're in and come to South Carolina. And he also wants uh, a bigger support staff. Uh, and he's going to have a new strength staff. Uh, we uh, we're fortunate enough to get that news first this morning that Paul Jackson uh, and his staff had been uh, let go, effective at the end of the year. And so there'll be a new strength coach uh, and strength staff coming in with Shane Beamer. Now, one interesting thing about Shane Beamer, because I hear 
you know, just what you said. I mean, the former players love him. Seems like a lot of fans love him. Great recruiter. He's got just an outstanding background when it, you know, for a guy that's not been a head coach, hell, he's been all over the SEC and Oklahoma and he's attached to all these great coaches. But, and I haven't been able to confirm this. So I wanted to ask you because I heard this from someone that I trust that Steve Spurrier basically ran him off. Uh, Shane Beamer, that is, at his time at South Carolina. Uh, do you know anything about that? And, and what's the backstory there of, of why Shane Beamer left uh, the first time around? Well, there was uh, a botched kickoff uh, right before the half of the SEC championship game against Auburn. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was some kind of miscommunication, and Auburn wound up getting the ball. Uh, I think around the 40 yard line and uh, there was under 30 seconds to go and Cam Newton made one play and then they had a Hail Mary on the last play of the half and they scored. And uh, the head ball coach was uh, none too happy. And uh, according to sources and you never know if they're right or wrong, (laughs) basically the way it was relayed to me was, well, Shane, probably need to go work for your daddy. And uh, then everybody told him what a big mistake that would be. And he called him back the next day and tried to apologize and get him to stay. And uh, after Jadevian Clowney signed on his birthday, which was Valentine's Day, uh, Shane Beamer left and went to Virginia Tech to be with his dad for five years. And, uh, you know, that had to be special for him. And uh, then, you know, he wound up at Georgia and was on the staff that played for the national championship game. And then, you know, he said the only place he would have even considered leaving Georgia for was Oklahoma to learn that offense from Lincoln Riley. And when they got the 10th assistant, Lincoln Riley hired him. A lot of coaches in the SEC promoted somebody from their support staff and paid them a lower salary and kind of looked at it as, you know, a stepping stone type job to give another guy, you know, an opportunity. Lincoln Riley took an, you know, an established veteran assistant coach with his 10th, you know, assistant position. Mm -hmm. Now it seems like the big question in Columbia now, who's the staff going to be? And, uh, you know, before we get to that, I just want to ask you, I mean, does the fate, of uh, Shane Beamer's tenure there at South Carolina. Does it rest in uh, these two coordinator hires he's about to make, offense and defense? Well, I mean, I think when you look at Will Muschamp and his tenure, I think you can trace the beginning of the end back to the decision to promote Brian McClendon uh, to offensive coordinator. Um, Will Muschamp took over a program that won three games. They won six games. Then the next year, they won nine games. And even Mike Bianchi was writing great stories about Will Muschamp then. (laughs) And he had flipped the narrative of a guy that couldn't win at Florida, that was a great fit at South Carolina, and was the same guy that was the head coach in waiting at Texas. And... Because of one half of football, he chose to promote Brian McClendon instead of pluck Eli Drinkwitz away from NC State. And Drinkwitz was going to come. And, you know, not only from an offensive coordinator standpoint, but uh, wide receiver and recruiting, wide receiver recruiting was just abysmal under Brian McClendon. And... Uh, that led to, you know, that and Travaris Robinson fully turning over the defense to him instead of, you know, calling it himself. That's probably why he got fired. And at the end of the day, I think a guy like Shane Beamer, it's his first head coaching job. Every hire, not just the coordinators, but I think every hire is going to be critical. But in particular, the offensive and defensive coordinators and then who he hires to be the strength coach because your strength staff spends more time with the players than the coaching staff does because they're around them year-round, not just spring and fall practice. Right. So 
you know, with that in mind, who are the uh, ideal candidates? Either, you know, people you've, you've heard or just people that you, you think are realistic for Shane Beamer to hire at those uh, coordinator positions and, and strength staff? Well, for me, I think, you know, he's already got the guy for, for offense on staff in Mike Bobo. He's a veteran play caller, one of the best play callers in the SEC. He's done it for a long time at a high level. Uh, he, you know, evolved at Georgia from an I-formation team to when they had Aaron Murray. And even Hudson Mason, they were, you know, shotgun spread over 90% of the time and putting up a lot of points and producing, you know, record-breaking offenses. I mean, it helped that he had like four NFL tailbacks at one time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they, they were wide open. They scored a lot of points. He went to Colorado State and evolved even more out there. And then, you know, he comes to South Carolina and they're devoid of playmakers. And the one guy that they thought they had that was a playmaker tore his ACL the first week of fall camp, Marshawn Lloyd, a five-star tailback. And all of a sudden you figure out that Kevin Harris is really good. Mm -hmm. and He's really fast, and he rushed for over 1,100 yards. And, you know, they had to change their offense uh, to go to I-formation and old-school football because they really didn't have three or four wide receivers that anybody feared. They had one guy, Shy Smith, and, you know, he got a concussion and missed a couple of weeks. And, you know, against Ole Miss, they scored 42 points, and – all of it was essentially because of Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick and the, the, the ground game. So, so if, you know, if Mike Bobo's your up at, if, if Bobo stays around, who, who do you think they should get at uh, defensive coordinator? And that's a great question, Mike. I mean, I think, you know, ideally he would want uh, somebody that's a veteran, somebody that's been very successful um, one name that's been bandied about on Gamecock message boards is uh, John Heacock at uh, Iowa State. Mm -hmm. It's a guy who's been a head coach. He's been a, in college coaching for 35 years. He's been a coordinator for a long time. And, you know, Iowa State is in the Big 12, and they actually play defense, which is kind of an anomaly for that league. And um, you know, I, I think it would be a veteran, established defensive coordinator. Uh, I'm not saying that he's the only one. I'm sure there's a lot of guys, but, you know, I couldn't see it being a first-time coordinator uh, on offense or defense. I think that's why the Garrett Riley talk, to me, it's kind of a non-starter. He's only been an offensive coordinator for one year, and that's for Sonny Dykes is a guy who calls his own offense. And before that, he was the running backs coach at Appalachian State. I mean, there's not. I mean, I've said, you know, if, if I want a movie star, I want Mark Wahlberg. I don't want Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> and, you know, Garrett Riley is not Lincoln Riley. And, I mean, you, you know, he might could be a guy you could bring in and call him the coordinator, and Mike Bobo would be – you know, the assistant head coach in charge of offense. You know, when Shane Beamer was at South Carolina, Ellis Johnson was the assistant head coach in charge of defense, and Lorenzo Ward was the defensive coordinator. And Ellis called it. And Lorenzo Ward had the title to give him a multi-year contract and more money. I mean, maybe you could do something like that. He could coach inside receivers. They've got a fantastic running back coach, Des Kitchens, who really has done a tremendous job, uh, was a very successful recruiting coordinator and running backs coach at NC State and with Bobby Johnson at Vanderbilt. He grew up about 30 miles uh, west of Columbia, right off I-20 in Wagner, South Carolina, went to Wagner Sally High School, played at Furman with Billy Napier. Uh, that's a guy a lot of Gamecock fans were kind of hoping would get that job. And so, 
you know, I think we'll just have to wait and see how it shakes out. Uh, obviously, he's Shane Beamer's back in Norman, uh, getting ready for their final two games. And right now, he's probably on his phone and in front of a laptop on Zoom and probably chatting with somebody on an iPad all at the same time right now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you you mentioned that because I w- I just wanted to get your quick thoughts on that because I saw, you know, some South Carolina fans not too happy with that decision to go back, but I don't know, I don't know, really know what Shane Beamer could be doing in Columbia that he can't be doing in Norman for the Gamecocks right now. What what are your thoughts on that? No, I totally agree. I think um, most of those guys are either millennials or or Gen Zs, and they don't remember. You know, for instance, when Brad Scott took the job at South Carolina, he stayed with Florida State uh, because they won the they were in the national championship. And you know, Brad Scott got a lot more camera time than he probably ever got in his entire career at Florida State. And I think because of the Beamer name, I think Oklahoma the next two weeks, particularly if Tim Brando is doing one of those games on Fox. <laughs> Shane Beamer's going to get a lot of camera time and he's going to get, uh, you know, he's going to be talked about on those broadcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, South Carolina, Justin King and his staff, they're going to be firing off those edits of whatever he, they've got to say. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, and they do a great job, but, but I mean, it's like you said, here's the thing. It would be different if this was an open evaluation period where he could have left the press conference and gone to high schools and gone in living rooms and Mm -hmm. had in-home visits and brought kids to campus. At that point, I think you're looking at a different deal, but because, you know, recruiting is closed down until April 15th at the earliest for all sports, there's nothing that he can't do. I mean, he met personally with about 50 players uh, after uh, the team meeting. He met with the rest of the players the next day. He met with all the coaches, uh, a bunch of lettermen and former players came over and he walked outside the building to meet with them. And, you know, there's really nothing that he can do there because the players are gone home, they're taking exams from home remotely. Uh, you know, if they reassemble for a bowl game, he'll probably be back by then. Um, you know, if there's no bowl game, then, you know, I could see him potentially staying with Oklahoma, depending on, you know, what happens uh, with their fortunes. You know, if it's just a, a bowl game, I don't know if he stays. If they were to somehow finagle their way back in the college football playoff, that could be a different story. But with everything on Zoom, you know, unless the team reassembles for bowl practice, he can do everything from Norman that he would be doing probably from a hotel room uh, or, you know, the building that he can do from the comfort of his own home or his office. Uh, there in Lincoln, and or I'm sorry, not in Lincoln, in Norman, with Lincoln Riley. And, you know, there could be a couple of recruits that maybe fell just below that Oklahoma offer list that Lincoln Riley might just be walking by Shane Beamer's office when he's on a Zoom call, and Lincoln Riley sticks his head in and says, oh, hey, man, I wish we could have had you at Oklahoma, but you know what? I see you're talking to Shane. South Carolina would be a really great spot for you. He's going to do big things there. You never know how those things could play out on the time. Well, speaking of uh, recruiting, so this is kind of tied to what I wanted to ask you next, but um, do you think Connor Shaw has a place on Shane Beamer's staff? And uh, if I'm not mistaken, when Shane Beamer met with the media with you know his opening press conference, I believe – the first player he referenced was Marcus Lattimore, and I think Connor Shaw was the second. So clearly he knows, you know, the importance of – he knows Shaw well. He knows what that what Connor Shaw means to South Carolina program. Do you think Connor Shaw sticks around, and, and does that impact Gunnar Stockton if, if Shaw 
and Bobo, I guess, if, if either one don't have a place on Shane Beamer's staff? Well, I can tell you with 100% certainty, Connor Shaw will be on Shane Beamer's staff. Um, some people have said he'll probably have his pick of being on the field or off the field. The people I talk to, Mike, seem to think that Connor Shaw uh, prefers to be in his off-the-field role because Connor Shaw loves being Connor Shaw, and I don't blame him. He's the winningest <laughs> in school history. The boosters love him. You know, he's the toast of Columbia everywhere he goes. You know, if you go out onto the field and all of a sudden, you know, your team is losing and your position group's not performing well, then Connor Shaw, that kind of changes who Connor Shaw is with a lot of people. Um, but I think he plays an invaluable role just being around the players and working that life skills program uh, so well that he took over from Marcus Lattimore. And uh, he loves being around the quarterbacks and Mike Bobo lets him sit in the room. And then, you know, obviously he came on the field uh, once Will Muschamp was fired. But I, I kind of think he'll be in his same role uh, off the field. And I think he really thrives in that role. And I think that's really what he would prefer to do. Now, for next season, what are the odds that uh, Ryan Holinsky's on this, uh, still on the roster? And I ask that because, hell, we, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I've been pretty impressed by Luke Doty, particularly his de debut. But I think once they got some film on him, maybe that was a little bit different story. But for whatever reason, Muschamp's just rack up All-American after All-American at the quarterback position and never really developed them. And now we got a new coaching staff maybe we get uh, better coaching there and you know I know South Carolina fans know all about the the quarterback talent that's on that roster and they got two other committed that are really good I mean all of a sudden all you need is a good quarterback and you're in contention so I don't know what are your thoughts on uh, Helensky sticking around and, and maybe just the future of uh, that position at South Carolina now that Muschamp's gone well I mean I think honestly it's a coin flip I do know uh, from the pictures of the team meeting, the guy sitting right down in front and center at that team meeting was Ryan Helensky. Um, I'm told, you know, he obviously, you know, had a little difficulty with the playbook. I, I said it at the time, the biggest loser at South Carolina with spring practice getting cut short was Ryan Helensky. Because at that time, uh, Colin Hill was injured. He could not practice. He was in a rehabilitation process. And that was Ryan Helensky's time to really get a good base knowledge of that offense and be coached hard by Mike Bobo for 15, well, 14 practices in the spring game. And, you know, they only got four or five practices in. And then you had the shutdown. And, um, you know, a complex playbook and you got to do a lot of smoke and mirrors. You know, I, to me, it was no secret or no surprise that the guy that knows the playbook as well as Mike Bobo ended up being the starting quarterback to start the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I kind of equate that to, you know, I just hope Gamecock fans don't write off Helensky too soon. I, I equate it to last, uh, what we saw with uh, Matt Corral, just, you know, he was recruited to Ole Miss under, uh, for, for Phil Longo, and then he had to play for Rich Rugg, totally mismatch. Now they get Kiffin in there. He's damn near All-American. So not saying Halinski's going to be an All-American, but whoever the coordinator is, maybe they get the most out of him. And they're both California quarterbacks, former All-American in the high school. So, uh, you know, that. I just – I think it would be a mistake to write him off. He could be your future. No, I mean, I agree. Uh, I went to the uh, All-American Bowl practice uh, when Ryan Halinski and Cam Smith, two young guys at South Carolina, uh, were in that game and was able to walk out on the field and stand behind him. And a friend of mine who's a high school coach had spoken with Dan Werner 
And he said, look, this kid, when he throws the ball, it just makes a different sound coming off his hand because he's got a big time arm and you could see it. And, you know, you even saw it as a true freshman, although he probably wasn't ready to play. And, you know, then he hurts his elbow and then he tears his meniscus and he's basically, you know, playing injured all year as a true freshman and he really gutted it out and I thought that showed a lot of courage and toughness um, and you know things just didn't work out for him this year but I'm with you I would not write him off and depending on the offense that Shane Beamer wants to run and and the vision that can be relayed to Ryan Holinsky I mean I could definitely see him sticking it out you know or uh, if he doesn't think it's going to be a fit and they're going to be a lot more, you know, uh, quarterback run game and things of that nature, like you would call for Luke Doty and a guy like Gunnar Stockton, then, you know, I could see him, you know, moving on to some place that could, you know, really utilize his talent. All right, last thing for you, Keith, before I get you out of here, just real quick, you, you know, you could go 60 seconds or less if you want. Just what are your expectations for South Carolina next season? And I know that's a tough one to, to even answer because there's so many things unknown, but just something you're looking forward to, I guess, with South Carolina. Well, I think for me, the first thing is you want to see who the coaching staff is. You want to see uh, who transfers out of the program. You want to see uh, what they're able to salvage in recruiting and then who transfers in with Ernest Jones, uh, declaring for the draft. They got a big hole in that linebacker room. They were already low on numbers there. Um, and so, you know, I just want to see, you know, what his vision is for the program. And then as we move into spring, what that looks like. Uh, and it probably won't be ideal in year one because, you know, you just don't have the wide receivers at South Carolina there would have to be an immediate influx of talent there. And I just want to see what, you know, the core philosophy is on offense and defense uh, and, you know, the staff uh, and players that will be implementing that in year one. All right, Keith. So I really do appreciate you hopping on with us here. And again, that's he's Keith Alsep of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You can follow him at K Alsep on Twitter. And you got to follow the Gamecock pod also on Twitter and follow, uh, go head on over to his Patreon site. It's must, must information, breaking news with all Gamecock sports. So Keith, thanks again. I really do appreciate it. Great information here. Oh, Hey, it was my pleasure. I, I, I feel like maybe I arrived today. Uh, <laughs> SEC podcast. That's big time for me, but I definitely appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to, having you back on my show on Friday. That'll be a treat uh, for our patrons as well. All right, Shane. So some great stuff there from Keith. I really appreciate uh, once again, Keith Alsep of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast for hopping on the show. You can find his information in the show notes there. That's uh, K-A Alsep and uh, at Gamecock pod, the go-to podcast for strictly Gamecock information. So just want to thank him for coming on and, and dropping some knowledge on us. Absolutely, man. This, uh, this is what the fans want to know what's going on. So uh, why not bring the source that's really close to it? All right, Shane. So, hey, we got a couple uh, games to preview. You ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go now around the league. My, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think, I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. At Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey, guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you.
All right, Jay, so with uh, Texas A&M and Ole Miss being postponed, I think all of a sudden the probably the game of the week here is Georgia-Missouri. Yeah. In Columbia, this uh, cold weather game potentially here. Missouri's red hot. Georgia, you could kind of say the same thing. But, uh, you know, with them missing a game, who knows? They might uh, they might have cooled off a little bit where Missouri is just heating up at the perfect time, getting momentum, heading into uh, – you know, the, the bowl season and whatnot, and uh, don't look now, Shane, but if Missouri finds a way to win this game at home, they're going to finish as uh, number two in the SEC East. Who, mm. I mean, who could have predicted that? I think even the most diehard Missouri fans wouldn't have uh, thought that was even possible this year, do you think? No, but, man, what a, I mean, what, what a damn resume oh, Eli's putting up year one, and where we're even talking about this being – potentially a ball game you know what i'm saying right absolutely so this is his case here you know i called it already co coach of the year yeah he's gonna win it if he wins this game and hell for sure he may even win it without it i'm just i'm not trying to put pressure on him not that he's sitting here listening to the show but yeah i just think uh you know with jt daniels and georgia's balance that we've seen of course you know it's been one game passing one game rushing so if they could put that all together, I mean, they could be dominant on that uh, offensive side of the ball. But uh, the big thing with Georgia here lately is just, you know, I know they've had injuries. I know they've had issues on the defensive side of the ball. But this defense is just not what it's been cracked up to be. And uh, that's something Kirby addressed this week. Let's kick it over to him talking about uh, Dan Lanning and how they're handling the adversity and trying to slow down this Missouri offense that has uh, all the momentum in the world heading into this one. Kirby, I want to ask you, uh, you know, last season, Dan Lanning, his first year as defensive coordinator, was pretty consistent showing from the defense, I guess, with the exception of the LSU game, more, more challenging, obviously, this year. How has he handled that with the guys on, on defense? And, and what have you seen from him as far as, you know, facing adversity for his guys? Uh, he hits it head on. You know, he addresses it like uh, any great coach would. I mean, it's a as a young coordinator, you go through that and you own up to things that you could do better. And you confront and demand things that the players could do better. But we're, we're, we're never going to be a program or staff that points blame at players. That's not uh, what we're about. Um, we go back to work and uh, we'll try to find a better way to do it. Uh, and that's what he's done. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's really good at what he does. He's a great motivator. He's a great leader. We had a, he's got a really good defensive staff here. So it's not just Dan. It's the we got about seven or eight guys over there that work really hard at getting information, relationships with players, motivating players, finding new ideas, finding new schemes other people are doing. And Dan benefits from that staff, uh, but he's the face and he's the leader of that group, stands in front of them, and he takes ownership when he needs to take ownership, and he challenges when he needs to challenge. Kirby, looking at uh, Missouri's offensive numbers, you mentioned their quarterback the other day. What did – what are they doing right now that's made them so effective on this, I guess I'd say, an offensive tear they've been on with, you know, with all the points they've been scoring lately? Well, the quarterback's very accurate. Um, he throws a really catchable ball. I mean, I've been extremely impressed with this guy's composure, poise, and he's going to be there for a while. He's young, and um, he, he knows coverages. As soon as he sees a coverage, he knows where to go with the ball. So, you know, he, 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 he throws a really good deep ball. So when you play uh, contested press man all over the field, he makes throws and they make 50-50 catches. When you play a zone and you spot drop all over, he knows where to go with the ball and he, he, he completes it. Um, and he's got a really good balanced run game to go with it. And, and part of being a quarterback is being a good decision makers. Eli and them do a great job of run pass conflicts where they're, you know, there's a rocket guy that he can hand it to or he can throw it to. And then you can hand it off. Well, if, you know, if you're not in the perfect call, then they can get you here. They can get you there. And uh, they're, they're, they're tough to defend. And he, he's going to be great for our league because when you look at what he does, there'll be people copycatting what he does to, to add that to their offense because his history at App State was that. His history at NC State was that. He was really good at, at, at creating offense. All right, Shane. So, I mean, who do you give the edge to? I know Georgia's certainly got the talent advantage, but when you're looking specifically at Georgia's defense, which is banged up and not been playing too well outside of, uh, of course, they, they dominated South Carolina, but just about everybody is at the moment. Yeah. And Missouri's offense, 
which, uh, like I said, just put up 50 on the guy that I gave defensive coordinator of the year to. I don't know which side are you favored in this matchup. Well, obviously, I, I, I just think there's way too much talent right now in Georgia. But, you know, Mizzou, what they offer is something that Georgia's not had in a while. That's just a team that can that can load up points, man, and do enough on defense. So, you know, we've not had to see Georgia go toe-to-toe in a shootout in a long, long time, you know. And last time they did it, they were unsuccessful. So that I think that's the key is, is like you said, even though there's injuries, if Georgia cannot slow down, you know, the Mizzou's offense, then, then this has potential. I mean, all it takes is one or two drives and one or two mistakes and, and you're down a couple scores. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think Mizzou, they have nothing to lose, man. Georgia's the one that has everything to lose. They're, they're trying to sell us the, that they still are a top tier program. So Mizzou, if win, lose, or draw, they're they're they'll be fine. They're still gonna be happy with their schedule. But I mean, that kind of makes you scary too. When you've got, you know, there's nothing to worry about. You know, I don't I don't expect conservative play calling from Coach Eli here. I expect them to be going for it on fourth down for wouldn't surprise me if you see an onside kick in this game. Just anything and everything to create that competition, that competitive edge. Uh, so that you can knock off a team like the Georgia Bulldogs because this is their national championship, baby. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, skip it on down to Columbia, the other side of this matchup where M-I-Z! Coach Strickowitz talked about uh, his emerging quarterback, Connor Basilak, on mm-hmm. Georgia's balance now that uh, JT Daniels is in the lineup, what he's seeing from that quarterback. And then on uh, you know trying to build a championship program here at Missouri, and I like the fact that he's putting it on everybody, the alumni, the boosters, the players, himself. It's, it's got to be an all-in effort. And I, I think yeah, the fact that he that he's putting that out there and recognizes it, I think that, again, goes to show, you know, Missouri just killed it with this hire. Coach, Connor mentioned after the, the Arkansas game uh, a message that's in the quarterback room about not needing to be a celebrity quarterback but being a battlefield leader. And uh, I'm curious how you feel like he is – embrace that role and if it kind of fits his personality naturally yeah uh you know we have our quarterback commandments and and uh yeah that's absolutely one we don't need celebrity quarterbacks we, we need battlefield commanders that when the game's on the line they're calm cold collected and people will follow him and uh, that's exactly what he does he doesn't get too high too low he's got a quiet confidence about him um and he's in control out there he he knows what he's supposed to do and and uh, when he messes up, he owns it and goes back out there and corrects it. Eli, you mentioned Georgia doing a little bit more with their passing game. Obviously, the foundation of that offense has been the running game for a while. I'm curious, what, what do they do that's so successful in that area? And, and just how important is it to stop Georgia on the ground to have a chance against them uh, anytime you're lining up against them? Yeah, you know, Coach Munkin spent uh, the previous – you know, four or five years maybe in the NFL, and you can see a lot of that flavor as far as uh, motions, play actions, uh, you know, uh, divider reads by uh, the X and Z receiver. Um, And so, you know, I think they do a great job of stretching the field vertically, taking free access. JT Daniels obviously has pretty good command of when they go in motion, does it soften the coverage? Does it allow uh, him to create a one-on-one? Does he need to hand the ball off? Does he need to check to something quick? And so, uh, it's 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 dynamic for sure. Um, obviously, if you can stop the run and put them in a situation to pass, we have the ability to better dis, uh, disguise what we're trying to do on defense. So um, that's the cat and mouse game. But I think the reason why it's been so successful, I think, is no doubt because of Coach Munkin and his NFL influence. Yeah, what have you seen uh, a little more out of Daniel since he took over? And is is this offense with him a, a different challenge than it would have been when you were supposed to play them, whatever it was, four or five weeks ago? I'm not sure that I remember the first question, but is it a different challenge? Yeah, it's a different challenge because anytime you have a new quarterback who's got game experience underneath him, then there's going to be a challenge to figuring out how to stop him. Um, you know, one of the benefits of film is that you get to see other people try things and figure out, okay, that gives them problems, that doesn't give them problems this fits into our scheme and there's just not a lot of tape on JT. Um, we know he's a tremendous talented quarterback. Um, so we'll, we'll have to hunt and peck and make in-game adjustments until we figure it out. Uh, coach, kind of a follow-up to what uh, Dave Matter asked earlier about being the one-year anniversary and 
the program building. I think you mentioned about the indoor facility uh, boosters in the state, right? Obviously, it's a kind of a group effort, a statewide effort with everything you need to do. You're knocking on the door of being in the top 25 as well. How, how it's always chicken or egg, right? Like win and we'll get to the facilities. We'll give you the facilities and we'll win. How, how do you see that symbiotic relationship working and, and how, do, how do you make it as strong as possible so it's a benefit for both sides? I've always believed that minimum input equals minimum output. Maximum input always equals maximum output. And so I think you have to put in and you'll get out. I also believe that champions behave like champions long before they're champions. I believe there's a winning standard of performance. Um, and, and, and you have to have that kind of expectations. I mean, we can sit here and have motivational quotes all day. You live up or down to the expectations that you set for yourself. Um, you know, I've been adamant about since the day I stepped foot on this job that our goal is to win the SEC East in a bowl game with class integrity and academic excellence. And I'm not going to come off of it. In order to do that, we need the facilities that match the rest of the SEC. Um, we need to recruit at a high level that matches the rest of the SEC. We need to recruit our state better than anybody else. And so we don't let Big Ten teams or Big uh, 12 teams or pack whatever teams uh, come into our state. We have to secure those those borders. And we're in the process of doing that. Or have we finalized that yet? Nope. Um, but we're doing our part. And now we need um, everybody else to believe and buy into the vision. And that's what I said we would try to do, which is extend an invitation to anybody and everybody who wants to be a part of what New Zoo is and ask them to join it with us. And I firmly believe that if we all push in the same direction as the only division one school in the state um, that has two large metropolitan areas, that has a great recruiting base, we can do what no one expects out of us to do in this league, but they're not gonna make room for us there, nobody, nobody else in the SEC wants to see us do that because then that crowds their table. We're going to have to do it ourselves, and I need everybody to join in that mission. And, and I think our administration's believing in that message. I know our team is, and I know recruits are. So now we need, uh, you know, everybody else, and that's going to require an investment. And like I said, minimum input equals minimum output. Maximum input equals maximum output. So that's my spill. All right, Shane. So, you know, it's kind of like you were saying. I mean, this is their Super Bowl. They've lined up for this thing to, you know, be a huge, huge game, the biggest game of the season, coming down late. And it, I don't know, everything's just lining up perfectly. Missouri's going to be an underdog. I think they love that. That's right where they want to be, going against a Georgia team that, yeah, they've had two weeks to prepare, but not for this game necessarily. They were, you know, getting ready for Missouri for much of last week. So, I don't know if that's going to be too much of an advantage outside of getting some rest. And I think the fact that Missouri's coming off a win, yeah, I think uh, I think this favors the Tigers in a lot of ways. Mm. Coach Eli said a lot of good stuff there. Did, can you name the two cities he was referencing? Uh, St. Louis and uh-huh. East St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was thinking, it was like at, at first, I was like. Is he talking about Branson? You know, <laughs> I was thinking the Ozarks down there, but but uh, I guess you would you would consider Kansas City, right? I mean, that was yeah, the other yeah. one. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm... so I, I mean, <laughs> it's just it's funny though because those are two huge cities, and and a huge pipeline of talent comes out of those areas, and you know. You don't think about that when you think about the Mizzou Tigers. And why not? Because they've done a terrible job marketing. They've done a terrible job playing games, you know. Mm-hmm. You get a, you create a winning program. You create a buzz. All these kids across the state are going to take a little bit more pride in their, in their state team, you know. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Shane, so we had to cut this one short. So, yeah, I hope uh, the fans got a lot out of this one. Hey, buddy, you got anything else before we hop off here? Just real quick, man, we got those reviews at 999. So if you're sitting there and you've got that iPhone and you haven't made that rating yet, you could be the one. <laughs> I appreciate everybody hanging out with us, man. We got a lot more news uh, uh, to come this week, and uh, it's exciting, man. I'm, I'm pumped up, brother. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Shane, for joining me. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.